This is a Sunday School lesson for Graceway Baptist Church. We're going to present this on January the 9th of 2022. It still seems funny <laughs> saying that year. And so if I mess up, uh, forgive me. And uh, we're going to talk about loving God means loving people. Now, during this first month of 2022, we've kind of suspended our uh, study of the New City Catechism and plans are right now to pick that up in February and uh, finish it up. We don't have very many left. And so, um, anyway, we'll get that going later on. But these things in January were just some things that I thought that our church needed and that uh, they would help us to kind of have a better start and a better handle on this new year. Because we all know that as well as we might have done last year, and some of you did extremely well, some of you maybe not as well as you like to have you would have liked to have done, and some of you you look back and it was just you know kind of a flop. Well, there's always a chance to do better, and it's never too late to do what's right and uh so we're talking about some things that are gonna help us and strengthen us, and even if you're doing these things and know these things, you can always do a little bit better. We're humans, we're never perfect, and so we want to strive for excellence. And this week, we're going to go to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 21 and get really under conviction. So are you ready for that? And the title of it is Loving God Means Loving People. Now that sounds easier than it is, because uh, a pastor once said, the ministry would be great if it weren't for people. And that always made me think of a Charlie Brown cartoon where Linus comes to his sister Lucy in her psychiatry booth there and uh, says, I want to be a psychiatrist like you. And she says, you can't be a psychiatrist. To be a psychiatrist, you've got to love uh, mankind. And Linus' answer was that, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Kind of the same thing this pastor was saying, people get in the way so many times of what we think we want, of who we think we are, of where we think we're going, of our good intentions. I mean, it doesn't take very much to get us off track, does it? And, um, you know, you can come out of, I've, I've said this several times from the pulpit, come out of a great worship service at Greatway, Graceway and then try to make a left-hand turn on 104th and just lose all your religion. And the truth of the matter is, when you get right down to it, uh, if traffic, and this is something I've really been working on, and I think I'm doing a whole lot better now than I used to, um, when you get angry at other drivers in traffic, there's one thing that exposes is you sure don't love them. If you are easily angered at... Um, your family members, or your spouse, or your co-workers. It's just an indication you really don't love them. You think about what the Bible says about love. It's patient and it's kind. Uh, read in 1 Corinthians 13 those characteristics, and you find out that the idea of loving someone really does, as the Bible says in a couple of places, cover a multitude of evil. And so we need to really work on this because the Bible kind of plugs together two things. 
If somebody says, you know, well, I love God, but, you know, I have trouble with people, the Bible would uh, confront you on that and say, you need to repent because you can't love God without loving people. Now, you can love people without loving God, but you cannot love God without loving people. Think about how the great commandment Jesus put it together for us, that we love God with everything we've got, and then we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Think about how even in the Ten Commandments, going back to the Old Testament, the first part is about loving God, not using his name in vain, not building idols, those kind of things, right? And then right after that, the second table of the law is honor your father and your mother, and then we go on down to the don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet, those things. So what does that do? Even in the Ten Commandments, it's about God and it's about people. And so the Lord is constantly plugging those two things together because my love for God may be something that is merely emotional. It's merely a feeling. Oh, I just love God so much. And that may be because I feel good. Everything is going my way. Um, I've got everything that I need. <clears throat> I've got everything that I want. And on and on we could go. But if you take any of those components out, and maybe I'm in a situation where I don't feel anything for God at this particular moment. Maybe I'm at a place to where maybe uh, my spouse just irritates me. My kids get on my nerves. Um, Co-workers are just annoying. That type of thing. That's where we find out what we really are. And do we really love them? Are we really exercising love, which is patient and which is kind, etc., etc.? So we read these verses in Romans, and boy, they really, I don't know um, how much could be said about it. Um, up in the introduction, there's a quote of First John 3, 17. I haven't seen the final print yet, but um, I, I think it may just say John 3, 17, and that's not the verse. Make sure you change that. First John 317. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And so again, the two things are put together, loving God, loving people. Now we'll go to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without, if you have a King James Version, it says dissimulation, dissimulation. Don't use that word very much in everyday life. Um, New King James is more clear because the Greek word there is ahupakritas. And so let love be without hypocrisy. That's kind of the theme of everything we're going to read. The contrast between um, hypocritical love and genuine love is very, very great. And we've got to focus on our love, not just appearing right or sounding right, or even feeling right to make sure that it's genuine. How do we do that? He tells us, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, 
in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. See how the two things are plugged together again? Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another and do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. (laughs) Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. See, that's a challenge, isn't it? But he doesn't just leave it there. He says, here's your assignment, but overcome evil with good. Okay, let's just stop and have an altar call after reading that because none of us do that the way that we should. And understand that Paul is not simply talking about make sure that you act this this way while your heart and your mind are filled with vengeful, evil, abhorring thoughts. Uh, We're to get rid of all of that. And the very first line in it says that our love's not supposed to be hypocritical. In other words, it's supposed to be real coming from the heart. And the very first command after that is abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And God hates pride and hypocrisy and all of those kind of things. And so when he's telling us to do these things, he's not just simply saying, make sure that people think you're like this. Make sure that this is what they would write in your obituary if you were to die. This needs to be something that you examine your life or ask the Lord to examine your heart and to show you where you are hypocritical in your love, where you say one thing and feel another, where you say something or even do an action that may be an honorable thing, but it's not really the expression of your heart. And God knows, and God sees. In fact, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and he's exposed to all of that. And so uh, he knows where your falling is, where your shortcoming is. He knows where your um, insufficiency is, and that needs to be corrected. This is something that ought to be like blood flowing through your body. Now, you know about my heart problems, And it appears that my heart failure was being caused by, or at least not being helped, by a bad aortic valve. In fact, they said that I had aortic insufficiency. Blood was, uh, the, the valve didn't close right, and blood that should have been pumped out through my body was backing up and getting in my heart. And that's what would cause the different symptoms and things that I had, weakness, fatigue, inability to breathe properly, you know, all of that. 
Well, I think the same thing is true when it comes to love. Jesus made it real clear, they will know you're my disciples by the love you have one for another. And let's face it, we can all do better in the love department, can't we? Uh, love can turn to lust very easily, and uh, love can be uh, something that just sort of you know covers up the expressions of love or hypocritical love, let's call it, can cover up what's really within us. And so we've got to make sure that we are genuine or else we're going to be where I was, I had aortic insufficiency, maybe in the body of Christ, maybe in you yourself, there's a love insufficiency. You really don't love people the way you say you do, or worse, the way you think you do. So let's take a look at this and see um, if we can break this down and understand this better. How do we do this? Well, point number one is have genuine love. Point number two is have heartfelt enthusiasm. Point number three is to respond properly to others, both good and bad. And point number four is live victoriously and don't mimic evil. So now we can talk about these things. And uh, when you start at verse 9 and go to verse 10, that's where we talk about having genuine love, having genuine love. And I would encourage you to read these scriptures multiple times to really get them in your heart. Um, for the sake of time, I'm not going to um, reread all of those, but having genuine love, having genuine love. What is, I want you to think about this, an example of hypocritical love. Now, here's the thing that I'm going to promise you for you and for your class. Everybody knows it when they see it in someone else. The problem is we don't really see it in us, and we don't see the places where we're hypocritical. So what is an example of hypocritical love? And, um, you know, I'll just, I'll just give one, and there are probably thousands, but uh, when we tell somebody in church, hey, I love you, brother, if I can ever do anything for you, let me know. All the while you're hoping, please don't let them call. Please don't let them call. Please don't let them call. Or we're always too busy. We say that, but then we're always too busy and that type of thing. Hypocritical love. Telling someone you love them and then breaking your marriage vows. That would be hypocritical love. I mean, we could go on and on and on with that type of thing in everyday life. And uh, why should we abhor it as evil? And the basic answer would be because the Bible tells us that God is love. And the Bible says that love should mark our lives as believers. And so what is it? It's sinful. It's idolatrous. It's wicked. It's everything you could ever name. You couldn't get it bad enough. Uh, it's, it's hypocritical. Now, we all say and we all agree together that one of the things that is hurting churches in this post-Christian America is the fact that so many people will claim to be Christians and people in generations past, maybe mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, people like that, have claimed to be Christians but didn't live it. And they were hypocritical. And boy, that just, you know, a hypocritical church member, somebody that, um, oh, I don't know, they get up in front of church and tell you how they love the Lord 
while they're abusing their children or beating their wife or having an affair, uh, you know, there's something about that that's really off-putting to us. But we always see that as being someone else and we don't see it as being ourselves. Now, let's be fair. Everybody is hypocritical to some degree because none of us are perfect. But it should never be something that you don't care about or something that you tolerate or something that you excuse. It ought to be something that you hate and it ought to be something that you're praying about and that you're working on and letting the Word of God and the Holy Spirit change you so that you're less of a hypocrite now than you were yesterday. So why should we abhor it as evil? Because God is love. And so to act in a hypocritical way is to act in an ungodly way. Now let's talk about genuine love. When Paul names these characteristics here, I think he's describing what genuine love really is. It's kind and it's affectionate. I mean, kindness is the way that we act. Affection is the way that we feel. Both of those things should go together. When I think about the church and people in the church, I need to be kind in the way that I treat them, but I also need to have affection for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, after all, if he loved the church and gave himself for it, and I'm supposed to follow his example, the least I can do, the least I can do is at least have some affection for the church. And remember, the church is people. And notice here that he says we're supposed to have a family-type love. A family-type love, as opposed to a feeling-based love. Love as brothers, it says. Family. Family. And you know, there are those things where we may have a real difficult time with our family, and yet we'll do anything for them. We would die for them. We will defend them. It's the way we ought to be about our brothers and sisters in Christ. No, they're not perfect. No, they're not always right. Yes, they may be a part of the problem. But just like you do with your family, you stay with them and you stick up for them and you want to try to help correct them. And also, Paul said, genuine love is the love that gives preference to others. Now, sometimes we do that. Yesterday, Sammy and I had to go get uh, tested for COVID, and we went to a place we had been to before in Norman. My doctor wants me uh, to be lab tested, not the rapid test because of my heart problems. And uh, we had been there before back in, you know, the early days of, of COVID, and it's just a matter of pulling up and having the swab put in your nose and then and then leaving. Good night, you cannot believe the number of cars. They were lined up for blocks before you even got to the testing site. And um, there were some people that wanted to, instead of going to the end of the line, which I thought they should have done, they wanted to kind of cut in and get somebody to let them in. Okay. Well, um, what do you think you ought to do in that situation. Well, my thought, there was somebody that wanted in, was let them go to the back of the line. This isn't fair to everybody in line because there was probably four or five blocks of traffic behind us at that point. Well, somebody behind us let them in, okay? And um, I thought, you know, it would be easy 
to let a person like that in and then resent it and be frustrated because you did it. Have you ever done that in church? No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I didn't really want that anyway. You go ahead and take it. And the truth of the matter is you really did want it and you're upset because they took it. You just didn't want to look bad. How many times have we told somebody, oh, oh, don't worry about that. I'm not offended by that. When the truth is you really were offended by it, you still remember it. And every time you see that person, it comes up in your mind. Every time you get a chance, you talk to other people about what this other person did to you. And it may have been 20 years ago. And so when we think about this genuine love stuff, and we think about how it is defined here, think about how often we will give preference, we'll say something good about somebody, we'll let them go first, we'll let them have their way, but we don't do it the way the Bible says right here. Notice two words, in honor. And boy, that kills your pride, that kills your, kills your self-righteousness, and all of that because it's not enough just simply to say, no, 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 you go ahead. We have to do that in honor. Secondly, notice that we're to have heartfelt enthusiasm, and that's in verses 11 through 13. Not lagging in diligence, that means we're to keep up with this. Fervent in spirit, the word fervent is a word that means boiling, boiling. We have plenty of energy, right? We're hot, not in an angry way, but um, we are boiling there in the way that says, I'm ready to go to work. I'm ready, like a steam engine locomotive or something like that. And then he says, serving the Lord. And that's the way we ought always look at it, that whenever I'm, verse 12, rejoicing in hope or patient in tribulation or continuing steadfastly in prayer, meaning even when I don't feel like it, when I'm distributing to the needs of the saints, when I'm given to hospitality, that, that means that I'm doing that serving the Lord. I'm not just doing it to look good in front of other people. I'm not just doing it good to guard my, or doing it well, I should say, sorry to those of you who are grammar Nazis, doing it well in order to guard my testimony, even though I should guard my testimony, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is, I'm doing it for Jesus. So when you open up your home for somebody, maybe to spend the night or for a fellowship or something like that, you're doing it to serve the Lord. And, uh, you know, hospitality is a theme in the scripture. And if you're never ready to be hospitable because your house is never clean or picked up, that's a stewardship matter. And you probably ought to get things ready so that you can use things like that. If you are not taking care of your money and budgeting and staying out of debt and watching your spending and you never have any money to give, well, then there's something to work on there. There's a sin issue to be addressed. If you don't like being inconvenienced and so you never want what anybody else does or what you do for them to change anything about you, I mean, sometimes it's easier to give a person $10 than it actually is to minister to them. And uh, if that's the case, then you've got a sin issue that needs to be uh, addressed. And if you have these spurts of generosity and spurts of loving feelings and actions, like at Christmas, for example, and then it goes away in January, 
then you've got an issue that you need to deal with because Paul said this is supposed to be <coughs> a lifestyle. It's supposed to be heartfelt. And the verbs here tell us it's supposed to be done with enthusiasm. Do you do those kind of things the way that you ought to do? So doing what is right with energy and strength, not leftovers, not lethargy, we're to do it with eagerness to serve the Lord, eagerness to rejoice, eagerness to endure, eagerness to pray, and eagerness to share. Okay? Under conviction yet? Thirdly, we're to respond properly to others. That's verses 14 through 16. Now, this is not just about when they do something wrong, but even when they do something right. Um, we bless our persecutors and we don't curse them. And then we also rejoice with those who rejoice. That would be an example of doing it to somebody who's, I mean, God's blessing them and we're not supposed to resent it. We rejoice in that and yet we weep with those who weep. And we're of the same mind. I mean, you can read those things. And it ends up by telling us not to be wise in our own opinion. And most of the time that's where we get in trouble because we think we're right. Everyone else can see that we're wrong, and God certainly sees that we're wrong, but we are absolutely convinced that we are right. So how would we sum that up? Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. Pay attention to what comes out of your mouth. Filter, right? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Watch your mouth. Be sensitive about others rather than sensitive about self. Now, I know when I don't feel good, and I know when I'm happy, and I know when I'm sad, and I know when I feel betrayed and all of that, but nobody else does. And in the same way, when we look at other people, sometimes people that are sad, people that are discouraged, man, they're annoying. They're no fun to be around. I'd rather be, well, like... Um, I think it was Billy Joel that said in one of his songs, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. I think we all kind of feel that way. We'd rather be around happy people. We'd rather be around those people that lift us up, make us laugh, make us forget about our troubles. And yet the Bible tells us here that when someone has good things happen to them, don't resent it and be upset because it didn't happen to you. Rejoice with them. If they get a raise and you didn't, rejoice. If they got a new car and you didn't, rejoice. If they have children or grandchildren, you can't. It's going to be hard, but you need to rejoice with them. But you also weep with those who weep. You don't shun them. You don't stay away from them. You don't say, well, you're no fun. Well, you're a Debbie Downer. You're supposed to weep with those who weep. This is the way we minister to others. Be sensitive about that. Pay attention and notice those kind of things. We are to seek unity, not division. And some people, especially in Fundamental conservative Christianity are always looking for sin and they're always looking for compromise and they're always looking for error and they're always looking for a reason to pull away and to separate from somebody else. Well, the Bible tells us we are to seek unity with them. That may be an opportunity to talk to them. That may be an opportunity to lovingly and gently to go to them and try to help them see things from a different direction. And understand this, whenever you do that, they're going to be like you are. They're going to be defensive right at first. That doesn't mean what you did wasn't any good. 
because truth will work on them, love them, accept them, seek unity things. And the bottom line is just die to self. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Okay? Now, wrapping this up, we need to uh, think about this. Number four, live victoriously and do not mimic evil. And you know, when you look around at the world, the culture that we live in, there's a lot of talk about love. A lot of talk about love. In fact, when you witness to somebody, a lot of times people will bring up, well, I know Jesus taught us to be loving, right? Surely he taught us to love one another, that Christmas carol. I mean, everybody kind of gets that, this lovey-dovey part of Jesus. The problem is they don't see the judgmental Jesus. Jesus said that the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. And when you read in the book of Revelation, and you read uh, like in the 20th chapter there, everybody is going to be called to stand before Jesus, everybody lost anyway, to stand before him, not as Savior, not as friend, but as judge. People don't understand how serious their sin is. And so they think that Jesus is just a lovey-dovey, you know, he's knocking at the door of your heart, he needs a place to, to live, and you can help him out. And, you know, he's a baby that had to be born in a manger and, you know, tried his best, but the tide turned on him and he ended up being executed. Um, but he was a loving guy, loving guy. And they don't understand the whole story, and that's why we have to tell them more than just God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. They need to know that you're a sinner and your sin has separated you from God and God is going to judge you and you'll spend an eternity in hell. But out of his love and mercy, he sent his son to live the life you could never live, a perfect life, die on the cross and absorb the wrath of God in your place. He was raised from the dead and now he is living at the right hand of God the Father as Lord of all and if you will trust him, he'll forgive your sin, send his spirit to live inside of you, and uh, welcome you into heaven when you die. I mean, that's the whole story, and we don't always give the whole story, do we? We don't always hear the whole story. Whenever you listen to people preach and they share the so-called gospel, they don't even get close to even what I just shared in a nutshell. And... um when we look at this idea about loving and responding properly to people, think about um, when you read about Jesus in the Gospels, how often, regardless of what he did, people didn't respond properly to him. I mean, he heals somebody on the Sabbath, and that launches the Pharisees into a debate as to whether it's okay to do good on the Sabbath, right? Um, it's just amazing how that happens. And yet Jesus told us that the world hated me, it's going to hate you. The apostle Paul said, all who desire to live godly in this life will suffer persecution. And maybe we don't suffer persecution because we're not all that godly. And we're not all that, you know, in the world where they can see us and where they can throw spiritual rocks at us or anything like that. That's something to think about, isn't it? We need to be engaged with the culture. As Paul said, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And I think sometimes Christians try to do everything they can to not be in the world, and uh, yet we're supposed to be there. Martin Luther said, 
that when someone gets saved, it's um, an easy thing to get them out of the world. He goes, the hardest part is to get them back in it so they can share the truth with their lost friends and loved ones. That, of course, is a paraphrase. He spoke German. So when we think about this, we understand that we are going to be persecuted. People are going to misunderstand us. They're going to pull away from us and reject us. They're going to hurt us. They're going to lie about us. All kinds of things are going to come up in an um, ungodly and horrible manner. So when we look at this and we think about responding properly to others, that first line up there in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, is a huge deal. And again, in the context of the chapter, you may not do that. You say, I would never say a foul word. I just keep my mouth shut. Good. But here's the question I would ask for you now at this point in your life. Is that coming from your heart or is that merely buttoning the lip? And so when we look at all of these things, we've got to be careful and we've got to make sure that we're not overcome by evil and that we're living in victory. So repay no one evil for evil. See, we don't want to mimic them. Have regard for good things in the sight of, boy, this word's a killer, circle it, A-L-L, all men, lost as well as saved, friendly as well as hostile. And if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. We're not rabble-rousers. We're not trying to stir up trouble. We're not trying to stir up conflict in the church or in the home. We don't pick at other people. And we don't march in the streets trying to make people hate us or to stir up trouble. That's not us, if possible. See, if sharing the gospel is the problem, then it's not possible because you're going to share the gospel. Now, the way you share the gospel and your timing, that may be an issue. As much as it depends on you, let it all be on them, in other words. Let it all be on them. Live peaceably with all men. And then he says that we're not to avenge ourselves, but we're to leave place for wrath. What kind of wrath? The wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I will repay. And trust him to do that. So verse 20 tells us then we got to kick into action the good works. And I think these are some of the good works that Jesus spoke of when he said, let your light shine before men so that others will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And this is how we treat our um, enemy. If he's hungry, now don't try to force feed him, but if he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Here's how I put that into action. I have had situations before where I could not have a breakthrough and nothing I did seemed to ever be right. It always was wrong. You know, uh, some people will advise you, we just need to sit down and talk with them. And every time I did, it made things worse. Whenever I tried to accommodate them, it made things worse. Whenever I tried to rebuke them, it made things worse. And so my way of living peaceably with them is not to be an agitator. I just kind of backed up backed off. And then I prayed this prayer, Lord, would you create a need in their life that only I can meet? And then give me the grace to meet that need in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know what? The Lord did that. Now, it wasn't as fast as I wanted it to be, 
But he did meet that. And in a matter of years, there was a reconciliation on all of that. And that's what he's talking about here because it's easy when you're in a tough situation, when pressure is coming against you like it did Christ, that all of that overcomes you and you lose your love for the Lord, your zeal for the gospel, your hunger for the word, you lose your desire for fellowship with the church. And what does that mean? You've been overcome by evil instead of overcoming it with good. And so um, we're about done here and I appreciate your time. But here, here's the way it kind of uh, shakes out for me. Be a minister, not a mirror. What do I mean by that? You can either reflect back. If they're angry, you can be angry. That's a mirror. If they're frustrated, you can be frustrated. If they're depressed, you, you become depressed. If they're coming after you, you're going to go after them. That's being a mirror. Well, I would call on you to rather be a minister. If your wife is ugly to you, don't return evil for evil, but minister. She's got a need. If something's going on in the life of a coworker, don't reflect back what they do. Minister to it. Find a way. Ask God to give you a way. And while you're doing that, you've got to guard your testimony through all of this. And you've got to do whatever is necessary to make peace. And that's probably going to go to that last point, die to self. You've got to leave vengeance in the hands of God. He's the only one who can do it properly. And then you need to meet the genuine needs of your enemies. Be ready to do that. They may have spit in your face, but you're ready to give them a helping hand. They may have rejected you and they don't want anything to do with you, but you're there for them should they ever need it. And then that last part means uh, do not be overcome with evil. Rise above the fray. We're not supposed to be like them or like this world. So let's conclude. The way we think about others and the way we treat them is a reflection of our love for God. The great commandment is to love God and to love people. And these verses will tell us how to do that. Now, granted, this is extremely challenging. Extremely challenging and convicting. And only God can do it. And I pray that God would do that in and through us by his Holy Spirit. His word has informed us and it convicts us. Now may the Holy Spirit draw us to repentance and to laying ourselves before the Lord to where we genuinely want to do what he has commanded us to do and will be glorified through it. Okay, thank you for your time. And may the Lord bless you as you communicate this to your class, that first of all, it might be communicated to your heart and then from your heart to their heart. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? I pray that it'll be so. God bless you and thank you once again.